back in on Canuck Central. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. We're here in the uh, Kintech studio. You can always get in 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. And uh, be a part of the show as well if you are listening live. If you're listening on podcast, we appreciate you as well. Subscribe, leave a review. That way you never miss an edition of Canuck Central. Our regular Monday guest here on Canuck Central, it is Don Taylor. Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Czech TV, Monday through Friday. Don Taylor joins us now. Are you you, uh, already uh, turning on the Canucks like so many fans after their second straight loss this weekend? (laughs) Well, you know, I've been around since 1970, so I expect the worst. But... uh, I mean, look, the, the, you know, Vegas is going through a tough, tough time. I mean, it's going to happen during the course of the season. It's, you know, the two teams they lost to were exactly, Calgary was supposed to be better, but not exactly uh, world beaters. And the other thing that concerns me is that, first of all, I'm not turning. I'm not, I'm, I still, I still have more belief on what we saw through the first uh, several games of the season versus the last two, although they have lost three of five. But, you know, Calgary came in. Uh, they were tired. Seattle was playing its third game in four nights, if I'm not mistaken. So, and I know they didn't travel back east, which the Canucks have done twice. Maybe that's that's catching up to them. I'm not sure, but there there were two tired teams on the ice Saturday to show to the entertainment value. I'm I'm not giving up on them, but I'll, I'll say this that I think they they definitely need another defenseman, as I, as I state the obvious, <laughs> which I often do on Mondays. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I mean, the reality on trying to get that defenseman, none of it seems imminent. Like, even Ethan Bear, I know you guys discussed that. He's still weeks away from, you know, playing, you know, signing, obviously, and then obviously when is he ready to play, and then obviously after being out for so long, when can you expect him to play at a decent level that he's going to help you? And then trades, for all the talk about trades, Donnie, I mean, it's just it just seems like those things are so hard to pull off, at least quickly. Yeah, I miss the old days. I know I say that a lot too, yeah. but uh, you know where it was just they were just hockey deals and salaries didn't come into play and movement was a lot easier. It was just really, really interesting. It's still interesting now, except you know math has come into the equation, yeah. which I was never all that good at. <laughs> so I, I think I'm like a lot of people. I just like the old days when there was mm-hmm. a big blockbuster trade every you know few weeks. At least it seemed that way. And I, 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 we're not going to go back to that. I get it. This is better for the National Hockey League. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it would be nice to see some movement, especially for a team that seems like it's close, like the Canucks. You know, two struggling teams, just, uh, all right, seven-player trade here on, uh, on yeah. November 20th yeah. as teams, yeah. as general manager Cliff Fletcher or whomever else tries to shake up their roster and figure <laughs> it out, right? Yeah, Leafs and Flames back in the day, right. that big deal with Lehman and, and Gilmore. And then I can, I can remember going to school one morning way back in the 70s when Phil Esposito got traded. For, the unthinkable for the yeah. Bruins to the Rangers. It was just, oh, my God. I saw everybody talked about at school that day. It was just just completely uh, awesome. It just doesn't happen anymore. And, you know, Pat Quinn pulled off a few with St. Louis. And so those, those are good old days when it com- comes to trades. You don't see them as much now. No, you don't. And I think p- part of it, too, I mean – we will see trades, like trades will happen. I bet you the Canucks will make a few trades. It's just about the timing of when those are, are pulled off. But I think the big thing is how can they make do with what they have, at least for the time being? Yeah, I know um, listening to Rick, he was pretty pissed off on, on, on Saturday. That, that was obvious. And then try hearing him talk yesterday after the after the get-together yesterday, I think one of the things that uh, he's really emphasizing is just make sure you take care of your bodies and get over this fatigue thing that has plagued this franchise since since 1970. 
So that's that, that's obviously a, a key. Yeah. And then, you know, it'd be nice to get Andre Kuzmenko going. He's certainly more than hinted on that on on Saturday. Um, see, he's, I mean, and you know, you feel for the guy on the shot that he took to the face against the Islanders, but that didn't hold the uh, talk it back from criticizing him on, on Saturday. So, uh, it, you know, I never thought I'd say this, but is Carson Soucy that, that valuable? Uh, do they need their goalies to steal more games? Is that, that's kind of hanging on a thread there. So, uh, you know, I, I just think to get a little more defensive depth is, is a real key, uh, right now. But having said that, you got to beat the Sharks tonight. I mean, that's 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 that has to be a gimme. Yeah, that's it's got to be the get right spot, right? It's yeah. uh, it's yeah. the slump buster of all slump busters right now. They've got uh, three wins on the season, and you pasted them for ten uh, one victory not that long ago. That's yeah. it's a get right spot, and you know, I as much as. You know, I know there's there's flaws on this Canucks roster. I think uh, Sat and I have talked about this a little bit earlier before you came on. But Elias Pettersson, as much as he's got the 28 points and he's joint top leading scorer right there with JT Miller and, and Quinn Hughes, it just it hasn't felt right for Pettersson lately. And I think that's that's one of the reasons the Canucks have sort of had their struggles in these last couple of games. Like Pettersson's just not dominating games the way we saw earlier in the year. So there has to be some sort of ailment. There is for every player at this time of year, but something fairly significant uh, significant for him. I, I agree there's just something not right. And the problem is because of the schedule, and it's been, you know, again, I don't want to you know, bring this up too much, but, you know, you know, the history has shown that it has affected uh, the Canucks. They, they've had the tough schedule coming off the Eastern road trip, the two Eastern road trips already which seemed like a blessing at first, but I'm not so sure now to get those out of the way early. Now you've got four games in six days and you're going on the road again. There's no time to recover for him. If indeed it is a significant issue, you know, and I'm, I'm sure he's going to be okay, but when is the question and how does he, how does he, how does he get time to recover? Do we see him take a day off? Is there some load management that's going to happen or just a well-needed uh, some well-needed healing time in, in the near future. It's uh, it's an interesting question, but I, I agree. I just don't I just don't notice him, or I, I notice him doing things that he normally doesn't do from from a negative point of view lately. Yeah, and I, I wonder too about when that's going to turn for him. What what is he exactly dealing with, and how much is it hindering him? Because part of it also is, I think, in general, them getting away from doing some of the things that made them effective earlier this season. And you know, we we were talking in the first segment about how hard it is to break uh, old habits. And you know, this team had some really bad habits last year, and there's probably going to be a, a back and forth a little bit until they figure it all out. And the question just still comes down to me as the season goes on here, Donnie, is how much of the maturity that we saw for these first fifteen. 16 games that was so palpable is going to be actually sustained and improved upon as the season goes on. Well, I, th- I think the things that Rick talk had talked about on, on Saturday are fixable. They're minor hockey problems. When, when you're talking about poor line changes, that's something you can fix. You don't have to be the greatest player in the world to mm-hmm. get off the ice when you're supposed to. Right. And, and, you know, turning the puck over, getting, I know you people don't want to hear it, but pucks in deep, to keep things simple, but the line changes, they can fix that. They have to be more aware, more cognizant of what's going on on the ice. You know, when you're making, I mean, I know it's, it's a real rhythm that you get into. You see an offensive opportunity. You think you can cheat and stay out there longer. And what happens? You end up going the other way and it's a two, two and a half minute shift. Those are things that are really, really fixable. And, 
it's it's I'm sure he's addressed that. But he addressed it with the media, so why wouldn't he address it with the players? So there's a starting point right there. That's an that that should be an easy fix at the pro level. Uh, it's uh, it's crazy, but uh, five years in, it feels like we're getting the best version of Tyler Myers that we've uh, we've ever had in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, well, a little slip up uh, the other night on, on Saturday, literally. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but 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 other than that, I mean, you know, he had the tough game in Tampa Bay, and then Tucker's done nothing of the, uh, but but praise him. He better watch out because otherwise, Alvin might have to give Tyler Myers a raise. You know, six point <laughs> five. <laughs> Over five, maybe. Who knows? Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Guys. Yes, but uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with the way he's playing. It's like Ekman Larson in Florida. He looks pretty good at you know over just over two million versus whatever the hell he was making too much here. So maybe that's that that's what ends up happening with Tyler Myers. I don't know if it's going to be here or not, but um, he, he's he's played just fine. And I don't think you know. Rick Tockett is going to mess around. If if Tyler Myers was playing poorly, he wouldn't play. But that hasn't been the case. He, other than you know a couple of games in Florida, he's he's looked okay. I know the team keeps saying they liked Tyler Myers and everything, and that he's <laughs> here to stay or whatever. But don't you get the sense that they'd be open to trading him around the deadline if they can get somebody to replace him as the season goes on? Yeah, of course, because he's he's going to be a UFA, and mm. I think the other teams would look at the way he plays and the the fact he kills penalties and that reach. And there's still a, there's still something not a six million, but there's certainly still something there. I'd, I'd be open to it if I got the, even a whiff that he was going to go somewhere else. Uh, I, and I think other teams could see value in him. <clears throat> and if that's the case, off look, I'm getting choked up talking about Tyler Myers and the <laughs> so possibility you, you, of him going. It's and, very you know, upsetting. It's very upsetting. It, it, all it, all it, the content it, he's provided us over these five years. Yeah, that's that's right. But yeah, I mean, if you can get something from him, and then there's the old thing. Hey, maybe you get him back, which never never happens. This side of Antoine Vermette. Um, so, I, I, yeah, if they can get something for him, sure. But the problem is, we just talked about getting rid of defensemen. Or not, probably acquiring a, a defenseman, and you, you certainly don't want to acquire one that the head coach seems to really like, or, or let go of one that the head coach really seems to like. Yeah, and you know, it's it's really just what's happening uh, beyond the top four defensemen on this team right now. I know you mentioned Carson Soucy earlier, but you know, tonight we're going to see another little uh, bit of a change with Friedman coming back into the lineup. Yeah. And I feel like this is something that's started the fatigue question and, you know, comments, you know, part of it is just Hughes and Hronik haven't played as well lately. Well, maybe it's because they're playing 25, 26, 27 minutes a night as Rick Tockett and the coaching staff have sort of lost faith in their five, six guys on the roster. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And everybody wondered that at the start when you get it, this was fantastic. You look at the start. You haven't seen ever seen a start like this in Canucks history, but what about those guys that are playing 25, 30 minutes? And is that starting to rear its ugly head, all that ice time, um, uh, you know, at a time when they're, they have this really, really heavy schedule? And look, you know, Rick Tockett talked about this, uh, I think about three sessions ago, about how when he was in Philadelphia, you know, they'd go on a road trip in the East and they'd be back in their bed every night. So maybe he, I, mean, I know he coached in Arizona, but I mean, maybe the, the, that, that's another, that, that's a little bit different than Vancouver. This is maybe it's a little bit different for him too. You know, it's just, people have talked about it long enough that there's clearly something to it. And I know they traveled better than they did in 1973, 
but it is still more difficult than most teams in the NHL. Maybe he's going through this learning, uh, going through a learning process as well. Now, Donnie, uh, we started things off a little bit talking about the team has to has to find ways to improve and maybe defensively something they have to do. So let's get, get back to some you know trade speculation here for a second because people are texting in as well. Uh, you and Dolly Wall do a great job of, of keeping everybody up to date on the names out there and, and how the Canucks may fit in. But Chris Tanev's name's obviously been out there. Nikita Zadorov's name has been out there. What's kind of your sense of how realistic it would be to acquire one of those two players? Well, you know, uh, Rick stays in touch with the agents, and we and we know that uh, one of the real stumbling blocks is an age-old stumbling block with the with the Canucks and anybody else in their division, going back to the you know the Smite division days. And you know, th- we understand that the the problem with Calgary is that not so much um, uh, you know Craig Conroy or anybody else in management, but ownership doesn't want to do a deal, or at least at this point doesn't want to do a deal or at the very least is hesitant to do a deal within the division. You know, if you were to, you know, because remember Calgary was supposed to, I would think most people would feel that Calgary was going to be the better team. And maybe they still think that's a possibility. You know, why would you give up Chris Tanev or, or Zadorov to make, you know, one of your arch rivals better? So the owners aren't in that. Our understanding is that the owners aren't into that. And that, that, that's holding that, or one, you know, that deal up, or at least one of those deals for Zadorov or Tanev, Hannafin, whatever the case may be. They just do not want to improve the Canucks, even if it means they might improve somewhere uh, down the line with what the Canucks g- give them. That it's the age-old thing of don't trade within your division. Although it's it has happened between Calgary and Vancouver uh, before trades have been made between those two franchises. Pretty much everybody in in, in the Pacific Division. Uh, going way back where the Smite division has, got, has made deals with the Canucks, but Calgary ownership right now reportedly doesn't want to do that. Which is uh, it's kind of wild. Like, just uh, get, make the best trade possible, right? I mean, they got a second for Sven Berchi. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Like, that wasn't too yeah, long Yeah, okay, there's yeah. that. Yeah, and then you go way back to the you know the, the days. Uh, well, then Paul Reinhardt came to yeah. Vancouver from Calgary and, and, and helped them out. Ron Stern, Dana Mers, and all those guys switched, uh, switched teams. Kevin Guy. Uh, that would, and that had a lot to do with a relationship, a friendship between Cliff Fletcher and Pat Quinn. And the, the Canucks were down and out, and Cliff Fletcher helped his buddy out by sending him Paul Reinhardt uh, back in 88, 89, and that got them into the playoffs. So it has happened before, but that's that that's pretty rare when it's, it has to do with a friendship. A lot of uh, discussion uh, in the last couple of days, uh, thanks to our pal, I know he was on your show today, Elliot Friedman, um, yeah. about you know, the NHL bringing back some form of an international hockey tournament. Now they don't, they don't seem to want to call it a world cup because they're only going to have four teams. It would seem like Canada, the U S Sweden and and Finland, uh, Russia, not in for obvious reasons. And then uh, just trying to get something just to have an international tournament of some kind before the Olympics. And, you know, part of me, like I, I really want it Donnie, but at the same time, I I don't know what sort of these what these you know half half hearted sort yes. of tournaments you know what kind of value you really get out of them because we did that last time with Team North America and Team Europe and we haven't had a World Cup since you know and it's uh, yeah which was awful yeah. right yeah. you know so I I just I, I don't know as much as I want it I, I don't know if it's worth doing it as a sort of something that's kind of half pregnant. 
No, I agree. Well, we, well, look, most of us, other than people who are like five or ten years old, we've seen the best. We've seen what, what everybody wants. We, we've seen the Olympics, and it's worked out for the most part really, really good. I think it's really helped the NHL as well. So, like, why would you go back to some half-assed thing that, you know, pe- people, not even the players seem to care all that much. Hey, guys, I, am I wrong with this? I, I seem to remember um, a report in the last two weeks uh, and, and this has precedent of Gary Bettman, you know, throwing something by the IOC, a, a, a tournament, a hockey tournament, Olympic hockey tournament at the summer games. And it's happened once before, mm-hmm. long, long time ago. And they play basketball in the summer and basketball in North America is a winter sport. So, you know, it, it, it's not completely ludicrous, but I would, I would be more open to that in that I think that's the only way the owners would be completely mm-hmm. open to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wouldn't interrupt their schedule. Now, it would. It, how would it feel at that time of year? That's a big, big question. But I, I, I just wonder if that's the best, the best thing that hockey fans could really hope for when it comes to an Olympic tournament. To, cause, because to me, it's it's the Olympics, or and even if they do have a World Cup and it builds into something, it probably won't build into something that really uh, special until we're gone. If you know what I mean. So I just wonder if the, the Summer Olympics would be a possibility. I want, I want to say in the 20s, or there, there was some Summer Olympic hockey tournament way back when. No, I wasn't alive, folks, uh, back then. And, and, and you know, why they got away from it, I'm not sure. But I just, I just wonder if, that, you know, if there's something to it and if there's something to Bettman asking the IOC about that. Yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely got to be some kind of a uh, solution here because uh, hockey could do with a best-on-best tournament for sure. Uh, Donnie, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Anytime, guys. Lots of fun. Uh, there is Don Taylor, Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon, Check TV. Donnie joins us every Monday on Canuck Central. You know, the question came in from Ethan earlier this hour on, you know, a uh, on an international tournament, and, you know, he – says it's not fair to other countries like Germany uh, or the Swiss. Each country has a few superstars in the league now, and uh, that's kind of my thought. You know, I think an international tournament, hockey-wise, needs to be at least eight teams deep. And if you're going to do a World Cup, I'm sorry, but you've got to have some form of a proper qualification system to make it work so that, you know, if Germany or whoever else is not in it, you know, you have good reason. Like, well, they had their chance to qualify through the world championships or this and other way, and they, they weren't able to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not big on uh, whatever the Angel's proposing right now. To me, it's, and even not having, I know it's, and I'm not sitting here and saying, you know, forgive Russia, let them come in. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you're not going to have Russia at the tournament, then what's the point of doing it now? Like, wait for the climate to be different then, unless it is an Olympics where it's kind of like, you know, well, they, the, I, I, think, I believe the IOC has already allowed Russia back into their games. Yeah, I mean, that, that's so... It's a very difficult conversation. I'm not here to, 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 to make judgment on, on what's good and what isn't, but it's, you know, National Hockey League players and what's happening in Russia is... It's tough for the athletes to be left out when some of them, for sure, we know, do not agree with what's happening in their own country. So I just don't like the idea of doing a half, sort of a half-assed tournament. You know, just just to have a tournament, that's the idea that I don't like. Um, but that's clearly something that is uh, being discussed right now with the National Hockey League and a potential international tournament for next year. 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You can get in on 
that conversation. Jan Pro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting Jan Pro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca. You are listening to Canuck Central. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. It's hour number two of the program, and this hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. A lot to get into around the National Hockey League. Uh, let's bring in John Matta, senior NHL writer for the score to discuss with us here on Canucks Central. Uh, John, the ultimate test for any uh, out-of-market guest we have on this program. What is your level of confidence in the Canucks start to the season? (laughs) (laughs) That's got to be thrown out there, eh? Um, (laughs) It's the litmus test. uh, I've been, like, how do I put this? I think that they're going to make the playoffs, and I think that they um, have a pretty high floor. Um, and, and, you know, that's a compliment, but, you know, obviously with where their percentages are, as, as your listeners will know, well, you know, cause that's what everyone wants to talk about. Uh, I don't think that they're this, this juggernaut. And obviously we've seen that with uh, the last few games and them coming back to earth a little bit. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things where you looked at the, the roster before the season and you were wondering about the blue line you go, okay, they pretty much swapped out, what, four out of six guys, roughly. And, you know, this this could go in, in many different directions, and it's, you know, largely been positive. Um, and then you look at uh, the other question marks, which was Demko, hey, does he bounce back? Is he actually healthy? That's obviously passed with flying colors. And then with, with Quinn Hughes and J.C. Miller and Elias Pettersson, I mean, everyone expected them to produce, expected them to be – star level players, but to take it to the next level, especially Hughes, uh, you know, arguably Norris slash Hart guy right now. Um, that's, that's massive. And, and I think we underestimate the value of superstars for, for winning cups and for building a sustainable winner. And I think that if there's one major takeaway, one thing to, to really point at through whatever it is, 17 games of the Canucks um, in 19 games, I think they're at it's, it's that they have, two superstars and I don't know where you want to put JT Miller, but he's, you know, a star for sure. And not that that was totally in question coming into the season. It's not that these guys weren't, didn't have the track record to warrant that conversation, but Hughes and Pedersen, I mean, they're top 20 players, like hands down in the league. And, you know, it depends on the day and the week and the month where they slot into that. But to have those two guys in a different position and have your elite goalie back in fine form is just, Chef's kiss, as they say. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. It has been an incredible start. And, and just looking at Quinn Hughes, too, and what I find remarkable about this discussion, and obviously in these parts people are very partial to Quinn Hughes, and for good reason. He's a, he's a magnificent player. 
The list of great defensemen, though, and, and I know we can oftentimes speak hyperbolically about our eras and, and what's going on now compared to other eras in the past, and I'm sure we can go back and, and look at times where Phil Bork and Paul Coffey and those guys are all playing at the same time. Scott Niedermeyer overlap with them as well, of course, and, and all these greats through, during those times. But it just seems like the upper echelon of NHL defensemen right now is as high as we've ever seen, or at least on par with anything we've ever seen in the past. You go through the list of players and Quinn Hughes is amongst 10 players that any given night you can make an argument for being the best player and best defenseman in the league absolutely and I mean let's face it guys I mean when Kale McCarr's career is over we might be looking at either the best defenseman of all time and I know that's sacrilegious hey Bobby Orr etc <laughs> yeah. but like he's trending in that direction he's that electric that uh, impactful and then you know Charlie McAvoy you know the old guard of Victor Hedman and Roman Yossi um, Eric Carlson obviously has cooled off a bit from last year, but still very effective in his new role in Pittsburgh. I mean, you just go around the league, and I think it's a reflection, honestly, guys, of of the, the way that hockey's played now at, at every level. Uh, and obviously it's it's more pronounced in, in the NHL than anywhere else, where the position is so puck-intensive. The, the play goes through the defensemen a, a lot of the time, and they're so involved in, in transition, and they're, they have the green light. I mean, it's... Uh, it's quite the, 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 the contrast if you take a, a hockey game, a, an NHL game from 20 years ago compared to now. The, there's, there may be a, one guy on the blue line back 20 years ago that's rushing the puck, that's joining the rush, that's part of the offense. And now it's, you know, five out of six guys. There might be one guy that's kind of, quote unquote, stay at home. So it's pretty incredible. And a lot of it relates to skating and just the skill. And honestly, Quinn Hughes is one of the prototypical modern guys and, and just such a special player given the way he can control the pace of the game and the way that he really can control the scoreboard in a lot of ways too with with how effective he is in all three zones um so it's it's certainly a golden age like it's one of those things where you got to sit down and really think about it like is it actually you know what about the 90s and the 2000s or whatever but you know off the top of my head it, it seems like a real golden age for defensemen you know probably what's um been most promising about the Canucks start to the season for me has been how they've played defensively as a team. Now we've seen them show some cracks in the armor a little bit here lately, John, but you know, every team Mm -hmm. goes through that at at different points. And ultimately, you know, in, in this ultra high scoring national hockey league, what have we seen uh, have success through the course of a season and going into the playoffs it's the teams that can defend well as as a as an entire squad, and I think that's something Rick Tockett has, has brought to this team that, quite frankly, I don't think many teams around the league have that much of. No, and you know, uh, the one thing that that really stuck out to me when I wrote about the Canucks heading into this past weekend was, uh, according to Sport Logic, they're they're the best forecheck team in the league as far as generating chances. And also the best at limiting the opposition's forecheck chances. And I know that's just one type of chance. But, I, you know, if you go back through uh, last postseason, I mean, Vegas and, and Florida, incredible forecheck teams, both teams. You go through other, you know, Tampa Bay. Obviously, you know, cycle matters, uh, rush matters, all that stuff, uh, scoring off rebounds. But I thought that was pretty interesting where you've got a, a Canucks team that traditionally isn't this, you know, uh, defensive stalwart of, of, a, of an organization of a team um, and then also you don't necessarily automatically think that they're the top four checking team on, on offense so 
there's there's many categories that they've led the league in so far, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are kind of percentage based and and kind of one of those things where you go, okay, this is going to come down or this one's going to go up. Um, but I feel like that four check one could be sustainable at least uh, to some extent that they can hang in the top five there in both categories and. It's, that's winning hockey in a lot of ways. It's kind of, you know, with a quote unquote older school coach in, in talking, it's, it, it, it fits the bill. It, it makes sense. And to touch on talk, talk it a little further is I, I like that one, you know, they're not taking a ton of penalties. Like, you know, it, it's just one of those things where that can really kill a season, really kill momentum in games mm-hmm. and just set you on the wrong path. He's, he's got them playing disciplined. Um, and I like that, you know, and this is obviously an intangible thing, but, I like that he hasn't taken his foot off the gas. Like, even though they had this incredible start, you know, over the weekend he wasn't happy with a few things. Calls out, you know, I don't know if he called guys out by name, but by lines, by defense pairs. And, like, I think that the market needs to hear that. I think that the players need to hear that. I think it's really refreshing. There's a lot of stability uh, baked into to the Rick Tockett brand right now where it's like, you know, if you're a player, if you're a fan, you look over at him and you're like, okay, he's he's got us on the right path, the right direction, and, you know, you couldn't say that, you know, the last few years here um, before him. Obviously, Travis Green and Bruce Boudreaux brought their own things to the table that were positive. But I would say talking and his stability and his sort of day-to-day um, standards, I'll say, um, from afar, seems like a, a really, you know, a feather in the cap for the Canucks right now. Yeah, I mean, their overall team game has been spectacular. So, I mean, it has been, you know, has been yielding above average results in a huge way. Now, uh, you know, transitioning to the rest of the National Hockey League, how are the Boston Bruins still the best team in the league when, when they lost Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci? <laughs> that is a fantastic question because, uh, excuse me, guys, <clears throat> I was I was one of many who thought losing Bergeron, losing Krejci was not necessarily going to be like the death kneel for the Bruins because you looked at that core and you go, oh, Lindholm, McAvoy, Marchand, Pasternak, another, you know, solid secondary tier. That I thought they would still make the playoffs or at least like be in the conversation. They weren't going to tank here. But to be at the top of the league and to be just producing at such a high clip for a second year in a row, and I realize they're not quite like they were last year because they were an absolute wagon last year, but it's, it's a huge testament to Jim Montgomery, um, the coach there. And you got to give props to the goaltending. They, they currently have the best goaltending in the league, if you look at pretty much any metric. And they're going in a rotation. I think tonight was the first night that they, they broke that rotation of Swayman, Allmark, Swayman, Allmark, Swayman, Allmark. So there's something pretty special there with that, with that tandem. You know, they're close off the ice, and, and they're obviously producing at a very high level on the ice. And I, I just think, you know – it's kind of one of those things where you watch them and, and you wonder how much a guy like Patrice Bergeron just, you know, by osmosis <laughs> affected, impacted, influenced his teammates. Um, because, you, you, like, there aren't many players on that team, Boston, and I guess you got to give management credit for this too, that, that are passengers, that don't play a two-way game, um, that don't bring something to the table. Um, and I think that's kind of the key to their success at this point in time where – they're up against the cap. They lose guys in the summer. You know, even a guy like Taylor Hall, they lose. That 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 hasn't been talked about a ton. And they just plug guys in and they keep going. Um, it's it's honestly astounding, might be the word, because uh, it, it's one of those things where you look at every little nook and cranny of them, and you don't find that that smoking gun of oh they're going to fall off. You know, as of tomorrow, 
you know, are they going to keep this 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 point streak going or this uh, points percentage, this this binge going? Probably not, but they're not going to step back that much because what they've accomplished has been well earned and and seems sustainable at least to some extent. So, uh, if you were to ballpark William Nylander's next contract, what does it look like? <laughs> Um, well, it's in double digits for sure. Um, like it's, it's gotta be over 80 million total, total money, right? If he does sign an eight year deal. Yeah. And it seems like it's trending towards him signing with Toronto. Right. So if we can just assume that for a second, he can go different ways with it. We saw that Austin Matthews went with a four year deal and is trying to really, um, maximize his earning potential over the entirety of his career. Um, but let's say, you know, Nylander wants the security, Okay, another eight years. I think that they can. They're going to have to give him, assuming he keeps up this pace or something to the effect of this pace, ten and a half, eleven million. Like well, how does really, how does he get less than Marner right now? You know, like he's that, that's fair. I know I know the context of Marner's you know uh, regular season numbers uh, all the way up to this year. They've always been better than Nylander's, but Nylander's been better in the playoffs, and he's the better player right now. And he needs a new contract right now. So I just I don't know how you don't give William Nylander eleven million dollars. I don't know how Nylander doesn't at least argue to get eleven million dollars, yeah. at least a tick up from where Marner is. Absolutely, and and obviously he has the, and I'm not sure if it's real or not, or if it's kind of media created, but he has the. Um, thing in his back pocket where it's like, hey, Marner and Matthews got paid, you know, super well on their on their on these contracts that they're still on. But I was kind of the guy that took the discount. Yeah, at the time it wasn't really a discount, but it's turned out to be one. Yeah. So you're thinking, okay, if you're in William Nylander's head, is he trying to to squeeze out every every piece uh, of of money here, every dollar, and yeah, when you project forward too, like Nylander's going to want a raise too. So he's up in a year. So he's making um, 10.9 right now. So he's obviously going to be in 11. So if you're Nylander, you certainly do go, hey, like 11 is the, the, the floor for me. Maybe we're looking at uh, 12.5 to start this conversation and meet in the middle kind of thing, which is just crazy. Like these are crazy numbers, but it's it's well-earned, right? Um, and, it's, and it's kind of ironic or it's kind of funny that, you know, the, the Leafs are just going to roll over into a new set of these <laughs> massive contracts. And I understand that the, the cap's going to go up and that's going to help them. But it's still, there's not many teams out there that are dealing with, um, you know, whether it's Matthews, Marner, Nylander, uh, three guys that are com- going to command like serious, serious cash. So a lot of teams in the league would love to have the star power that they have. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure no complaints from the Leafs in general. But it is uh, it is kind of funny from the outside to go. It, this is deja vu. They're going to end up having these massive contracts once again. What's going on with the Columbus Blue Jackets this year, John? I mean, it's been really strange seeing this team kind of you know go through the situation with their head coach Mike Babcock. This after having another busy off season last year, they added Johnny Goudreau. This off season, they added Provorov and Severson, and, and really try to take a step forward as a team. And they've had a real tough go of it. Uh, Pascal Vincent, the new head coach, is having trouble reining these guys in. He healthy scratched Patrick Line, and Line Line's reputation around the league has been interesting because. He's such an incredible talent. We talk about maybe one of the best pure talented shooters in, in, in the league right now, yet he's been traded, yet you know, uh, Tam, uh, sorry, Columbus is healthy scratching him. Why, why does he seem like such an enigma, and what do you think happens next with him? I don't know, because you know, he's got this pretty hefty contract 
for what amounts to a one-dimensional player. And I understand that the one thing he does well is the most valuable thing, but he's never been this, you know, defensive specialist or he's never played center until this year. So there wasn't that extra value and, you know, he doesn't penalty kill and, you know, he's so tantalizing when he does score, when he's on these, these scoring streaks, but that's a tough one to, to, to swallow because he's on that, that 8.7 AAB, not only this year, but for two years afterwards. Um, so that's difficult to move. I'm sure there would be plenty of uh, suitors for him, at least uh, sniffing around and seeing what, what Columbus would like to do with him. But it's, it's really strange. I mean, I mean, the, the one thing that really jumps off the page for me is, is the coaching change right before training camp. Obviously, that sets a terrible tone. And I realize that Pascal Vincent had history with the organization. It wasn't some random guy coming off the street. But you guys will remember with the, the Avalanche, Jared Bednar's first year, Patrick Wall had quit in August. Bednar comes in. It's, you know, a complete disaster of a season for a pretty talented Avs team. I think they put up like 48 points or something. Um, so I think you can, you can draw a pretty thick line between what happened with Babcock and what's happened now through the first, uh, you know, whatever, 18 games or so. And from there, I mean, they've always had leaky goaltending since merzlikin has been their guy because Tarasov can't stay healthy. Um, a lot of just, short-sighted thinking with the the contracts on the back end with handing over these these big deals to these these aging kind of stay-at-home type defensemen Gabranson, Severson, Provorov like you know there's some value in those guys but not at that number and just throwing it all together and hoping it works out doesn't seem like the best mix there and I don't know what happened with Johnny Goudreau he seems broken in in a lot of ways that uh, Jonathan Huberto is as well so there's really very few silver linings in Columbus and you know I was thinking about it earlier like there's been a few players there that just have really their stocks really plummeted I mean there's a point when Dubois was was really going the other way as far as uh his arrow for his career when he was in Columbus Goudreau Line A and then you look at like Panarin and Brubovsky obviously they had success in Columbus to to the extent that you do with with an organization that hasn't done a ton of winning but they want it out like right away. So there, there's something in the water there. And I know that's kind of, you know, um, me just throwing stuff against the wall and hoping it sticks. But um, 10 years of Yermo Kirkalainen and, and not much success. So I wonder if he's uh, on the hot, hot seat more than, than he's ever been at this, this very moment. Hey, John, really appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Hey, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Have a good one. There is uh, John Mattis, senior NHL writer for... The score joining us here on uh, Canuck Central. The uh, world cannot get enough of Patrick Line right now. Everybody has uh, an opinion on it. It's it is really hard to separate Line's high end abilities from his true value to a hockey team right now, and I think that's why it's going to be hard for. Columbus to do anything with this player other than try to get him going for their own team because I think he's got a bit of a reputation at this point in his career, Sat. When you ask around about Patrick Laine, you don't hear the most encouraging things. And they're they're not to say like these 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 horrible character traits that you say, oh my God, it's a bad person and everything. It's not really about that. It's more about how how wired are you to be part of a winning team or just 
be able to bring the best out of yourself on a daily basis consistently? And that's a question that kind of follows him around because for as talented as he is, there's always something it seems getting in his way. Yeah. And he's a pretty high maintenance player in that regard because you got to work so hard to make sure you get the best out of him. And as good as he is, he's not consistent enough with his overall game for that to be something that a lot of teams are willing to take a risk on unless they're trying to get off of a contract or something. Because we've seen people texting in our inbox. I have people you know, messaging me and asking, does it make sense for Vancouver to pursue Patrick Laine? I would just wonder, given what we've seen from this front office with the mm-hmm. types of players they prioritized, whom they've gone after, the traits they look for, now, he fits one trait they like, and that's a one-shot score, high-talent type of player. Yeah. And I know they, they, they do value those players as a front office. But do they feel like that's a guy they can back? And I'm just not sure he is. And, I, and this is not me reporting anything. I haven't had a single conversation with anybody in the team about Patrick Laine. But I just wonder, in terms of putting those pieces together, if that's somebody they would actually want to pursue heavily. Are you the type of front office that uh, just bets on the talent and says we can get this guy on the right track or are you not sure it's worth the cost and uh, work it's going to take to get this player to buy in? I mean, at this point, line a, like he's not a spring chicken, right? The guy is, he's 25 years old now. Well, I mean, that is still pretty young. He's 25. still fairly young. Yeah, 25. I mean, he's not like 30 or anything. He's 25. But he hasn't, 25, but he's seven years in the league. He hasn't really evolved this level of Don't his game. Don't disagree, but he's still only 25. Yeah. Like, he's going to be 26 next year, right? Like, we're talking about he's going to turn 26 in April. Next year will be his age 26 season. Yeah. So he's still a young 25 right yeah, now. Yeah, he's, he's, like, he's still a player that... That's what makes it so tantalizing. Like, he's such a talented guy. Like, what team takes, takes a uh, hack at him? And we were talking to Donnie about, you know, how the NHL sucks now because... There's no trades? Yeah, because the cap space gets in the way. There's math, and somebody texted in, yeah, math, I'm with Donnie. Math <laughs> nerds suck. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I get it. Sometimes it's you know it's overwhelming in a lot of stuff, especially, you know, I do push back on a lot of the shop metrics and stuff. But there is a reality about the salary cap. Yes. And he's getting paid $8.7 million. Yes. In today's league, with how hard it is to move money, that's tough. So which team has taken a chance on him without trying to say and send something out? That's a bit of a problem for them. Yeah. You got two more years at 8-7 after this one. You know, you could start to concoct a, uh, at least a trade that might line up the money with the Vancouver Canucks. It would probably have to involve Brock Besser, uh, maybe a, a Connor Garland. And does that really entice the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are so desperately looking for centermen anyways? Interesting talent. Not the finished product, Patrick Line, and I guess there's a wonder around the league if he'll ever be the finished product. Yeah, and I don't know if he's... I, I think he can find something because I think he's just so talented. Yeah. It's just one of those things where, you know, it's it's funny because when he signed his contract, I was like, hey, well, if, if he figures it out, 8.7 is not that bad. Mm-hmm. But For a guy that can score like that, could be worth it. Very tough. Vancouver Warriors lacrosse. Don't miss out on the best show in town for as low as $25 at tickets.vancouverwarriors.com. Coming up, we'll dive more in on the pregame as we get an extended pregame in on the San Jose Sharks. What to expect tonight at Rogers Arena. Stan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canucks Central. Canucks Central.